Welcome to Mental Health in Minnesota, produced by NAMI Minnesota, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, a nonprofit organization dedicated to improving the lives of children and adults with mental illnesses and their families. Visit NAMI Minnesota online at namimn.org. Welcome to another episode. My name is Brian Jost. I'll be your host for this episode, which is an interview with author and former Minnesota State Representative Mindy Greiling and her son, Jim Greiling. Mindy Greiling served in the Minnesota House of Representatives for 20 years, including 14 after her son, Jim, was diagnosed with schizoaffective disorder in 1999. She initiated the first state bipartisan mental health caucus where legislators worked together to pass legislation, including allocating the most annual funding for mental health in Minnesota history up to that date. She also has served on the national and state NAMI boards, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. Mindy's son Jim has been on staff at NAMI Minnesota and has been a part of NAMI's mission for about five years. In this conversation, we discussed Mindy's and Jim's journeys with NAMI, their views on mental health and the mental health system, as well as Mindy's new book, which is titled Fix What You Can, Schizophrenia and a Lawmaker's Fight for Her Son, which has a publication date of October 6, 2020, but it is available for pre-order at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and IndieBound.com. Please note the date of this conversation, which was recorded January 28th, 2020. And we'll get into the interview now. Well, Mindy and Jim, thank you both for doing this today. Uh, Mindy, I'll start with you. When did mental illness first touch your life? Well, thank you for um, talking with us, Brian. Um, I first experience with mental illness was actually when I was just a kid. I was about 10 years old, and my grandmother, who lived across the street, um, developed uh, schizophrenia. She'd been paranoid and throwing out food and things, but we just thought that was normal for her. But eventually, um, she had to go to the Rochester State Hospital. So I was, you know, kind of had a crash course at a very young age. And Jim, uh, for you, when did signs of mental illness for show up? Well, looking back on things, I really probably about eighth or ninth grade, but I had no idea at the time. I was diagnosed when I was 21 in 1999 with schizoaffective disorder, and I haven't really ever thought of having a mental illness before that. I was, I know I was depressed, but looking back on things, it started probably eighth or ninth grade. Okay, okay. And Mindy, uh, how did your grandmother's mental health affect your perspective on Jim's diagnosis? Well, it it helped and it didn't help. You know, it helped because I knew that um, when she took medication, she got better and stayed better and only wasn't good when she stopped taking it. But then she could take it and be better again. But it was bad because I didn't want my son to struggle like she did. And that was... Um, made it harder because I knew what he was in for. Yeah. So did you, do you think you had any subconscious assumptions about how it was going to go for Jim based on what you saw with your grandmother? Yeah, I think exactly that, you know, for openers, I didn't recognize his mental illness because he presented so much differently than she did, Okay. Um, at least um, to begin with. But, um, but also 
back in her day, that was in the 1950s, there wasn't as much hope as there is now. She was, you know, lived in the Rochester State Hospital for decades and then went to the nursing home. So I didn't want that for Jim. And I was glad to find out things had improved somewhat, at least. Yeah. And what else can you say about that, about how things have changed in the world of mental health since your grandmother's time? Well, all the state hospitals, of course, have closed pretty much. And we still have Regional the Anoka Metro Regional Treatment Center, but that's not a long-term proposition. You know, we have community care now. I wish we had more of it, more of a continuum. But at least we have. Um, we don't think about people being shut away forever in a state hospital. Instead, people go to the regular hospital, get crisis care. Maybe they need something in after that to continue stabilizing. But eventually. People get better and can go back to work and, you know, pay taxes and things like that. Um, But what was different about Jim was that he was using um, street drugs, and that was something my grandmother didn't do. So that was very different, and we had a lot to learn, you know, about that as well. Okay, okay. Um, Can you talk a little bit about your work in the legislature and and how that work possibly changed for you after Jim was diagnosed with schizoaffective disorder? It was a 180 degree change because I hadn't worked at all on any health care legislation. I was always, I came from the school board. I was a teacher. I always worked on education. Um, But when Jim got sick, every time I encountered something where you say there, that shouldn't be that way. You know, there should be a law about that. Then I had the luxury of going to the legislature, working with the brilliant staff and coming up with legislation. And I had to, I was, had to become acquainted with all the mental health advocacy groups. I didn't even know they were there. I didn't know their names. You know, I had so much to learn, but it really helped me to be able to do something at the, at the, at the legislature. Would you say you had a a favorite bill that you passed in the area of mental illnesses? My favorite bill actually had nothing to do with Jim and and our problems. It was um, about postpartum depression. And I became known for, you know, working on mental health legislation just because so few legislators were doing it at the time. And so this father was actually from uh, New Ulm, and he, I wasn't his legislator, but he sought me out because his wife had postpartum depression, and he wanted to, he wanted to do something about that because she came home and nobody helped them. And so we passed legislation with the help of NAMI, Minnesota, um, that said that hospitals needed to give information to new families so that they could look for that in case the mother would come down with that. And... Um, NAMI to this day has a an annual, I think, uh, or at least a regular workshop for everybody yeah. to learn about that. The Baby Blues con- conference, That's I believe. It. Yeah. And so that was my favorite legislation. And when I was at a NAMI event last year, I got to see that father and that mother. Oh, they cool. were there and they came up and we reminisced. <laughs> so That's that great. was by far my favorite, Bill. Hmm. How helpful were other legislators when you first started working on legislation addressing the mental health system? Well, there had been a really good legislator, uh, Representative Gloria Siegel, who had worked on mental health, but she 
died before, right before I got there, and they had to have a special election to replace her. So when I was first working on it, there were no other legislators really working on it. So it was kind of a desert, and um, people felt sorry for me. I talked publicly, you know, about our situation. So they cheered me on to a certain extent, but there just was not much going on. And um, I remember once I sent out a survey to my colleagues in the House and said, how many of you have anybody in your family or your extended family that has a mental illness? I was trying to draw more people in saying, it's not just me, you know, it could be you too. And um, I got a very poor response as to who turned it back in. One legislator whose mother had uh, schizophrenia said, why do you want to know that anyway? You know, there was this closed, we're not going to tell anybody about our family mentality. And that's totally changed, you know, in the year 2020. But it was, so there was sympathy, but not a lot of help to begin with. Okay. Wow. Can you tell us uh, a little bit about why you see early intervention as important? Well, that was the first thing I actually worked on, um, other than a, a few smaller bills, was how to get help for people early, earlier, because we saw that that was the biggest problem with Jim. He, you know, did not initially know that he had a mental illness. We, in fact, we all thought it might be related to drugs, and we hoped it would be a drug-induced psychosis. It would go away. We'd be done, you know, and so... But it, but it became apparent that he needed, at least for a time, to take some antipsychotic medication, and he refused. He wasn't going to take it, and so we had to wait until he got sick enough, and mm-hmm. then um, he was the hospital civilly committed him, and then he got help, and then we were all amazed, I think including him, that he got better, you know, right away. And he yeah. went back to college. And, and so I just, and then I took NAMI classes and learned about early intervention. And NAMI called psychosis a fire in the brain. And you need to okay. put it out, you know, because mm-hmm. otherwise it will do long-term, longer-term damage. So I became, that was my big um, initial push in the legislature, was how to get people who didn't recognize they were ill Mm-hmm. help. And so NAMI and other organizations were very helpful, but some organizations saw it as taking away someone's civil rights. So that was, oh. that. I really learned about all the mental health organizations and their various philosophies Sure. with trial by fire when I worked on okay. that bill. Okay. Jim, how important is family involvement in advocacy? Um, I'd say it's very important. Um, my family has been very supportive, um, never giving up on me. Um, I guess your family is the closest people to you, so the more they can support you, the better. Were you initially willing to let them help you? Uh, well, at very first, when I first went to the psych ward for the first time, I was so out of it, I didn't really know what was going on. And I think one of the reasons that I didn't get worse was because of my parents coming to visit and supporting me and everything. Yeah. Does it, do, do you feel like uh, your attitude about your family helping you has changed over the years at all? Has it always been the same? or? Uh, well, I don't know. I've always, whenever I've been sick or in, in wherever facility, I've always appreciated the visits I get from 
my parents, my family. Um, there's been times when I haven't wanted them so involved, which maybe maybe that's when uh, the sicker I am, the less more I want them involved. That makes sense to me. Um, just speaking from personal experience, it's kind of ironic. The the more you need help, the less sometimes you want it. But <laughs> at least it has been for me sometimes. Um, and Jim, how do you take care of yourself? Uh, well, take my meds. That's really important for me. Um, I haven't always done that. It's been probably about thirteen or fourteen years since I I stopped it. Since I you know I went off my meds like so many people do, um, especially at first. And then so I, I don't do that. So meds are important. Um, staying in physical shape, which I haven't been doing the best job lately. But just getting physical exercise and eating healthy. Um, keeping up social connections with my friends and family. Cool. Good. And Mindy, how do you take care of yourself since you say mental illness affects the whole family? Well, I, you know, when we, Jim first got sick, we just spent so much time either with him or worrying about him or advocating for him that we exhausted ourselves. And it took actually uh, several years before we figured out, wait a minute, we have to take care of ourselves too. So we just plain, um, you know, take breaks if he's in the hospital. We do visit him, but it's, uh, you know, a break too. If he's been, we know it's leading up to crisis and then he gets in the hospital, we can get our, get caught up on our rest. Um, We have, we just live our own lives, you know, and realize we can't, he has to struggle. We can help him, but we can't do it for him. So we just go back to doing our own things. And I think he's happier when we do that. And I know we're happier. Yeah. Wow. Well, let's get into your book a little bit and um, just I'll say the title again. It's Fix What You Can, Schizophrenia and a Lawmaker's Fight for Her Son. Uh, and without giving away too much, can you give us an overview of the book and touch on the main theme or themes? Well, yes. Um, I I've talked somewhat about it already because I do bring in my grandmother and her illness and how that affected how I thought about Jim at the beginning and my fears for him. Um, and then I, my relief at being able to work on legislation and have something positive to do and my ability to learn because I had so many resources through the legislature. Um, I also have the theme of you know, getting help for families through NAMI. Um, NAMI's, the family-to-family classes are so important to learn about things. Um, our daughter took that actually, too, okay. in in, Mar- in Virginia, I think, or Maryland. She lives in Washington, D.C. And, um, and the importance of advocacy is a big um, part of the book. We have learned that the mental health system kind of helps the squeaky wheels. And mm-hmm. so if the person is able to advocate, they're more apt to get help. If they're too sick to advocate, then families, friends have to step in. And that that makes a huge difference. So that's part of why I wrote the book. So other people can see they how to advocate and that they need to do it. And it really helps. It helps you to feel better because you're doing something. Sure. And it helps the person who's who's ill. Absolutely. Mindy, how would you say the criminalization of mental illness is addressed in your book? Well, that's a really good question because um, it pops up a lot. And I think it's 
symptomatic of a big problem with the mental health system. And that is, you know, since the state hospitals closed, like my grandmother was in, there isn't enough care in the community. And so often people get really sick and then they end up in the criminal courts instead of the hospital. And that's happened to Jim more often than we would like. You know, when he was first sick um, in college, he ended up in jail and we had to, you know, bring him back to Minnesota and get him help. And luckily had a good judge that let us do that. But then later, he's had uh, two times in court, and one time was mental health court, which is a wonderful court, and that was due to something he did when he was psychotic, and that was all about treatment, and we were, you know, I thought that was a wow of an experience, mental health court in Ramsey County. But then uh, just a couple years ago, he had another episode where he was um, very, very sick and high on drugs, and committed another low-level crime, but he ended up in criminal court. And that we are very mad about because he should have been in, in mental health court. Um, he's doing really well with everything that they're requiring of him. And if he were in mental health court, his crime would be erased, you know. But okay. instead, he ends up with this criminal record, which will dog him for employment, housing, sure. anything for the rest of his life. That's wrong, and um, it shouldn't happen to anyone. Right, right, exactly. Uh, and Jim, how do you see street drugs as complicating the lives of, of people like yourself and others who have mental illnesses? Um, I think I, I wouldn't have come down with my illness either at all or as severe or as early if I hadn't used um Alyssa drugs in high school, and college. And Mindy, when did you start thinking about writing this book and start working on it? Well, I actually didn't think about writing it at all until I retired from the legislature. <laughs> I didn't have time, um, but I had... And when did you retire? I retired six years ago in okay. 2013. 20, okay. And I had, um, but I'd always kept a journal. You know, I yeah. tr started out just trying to keep track of Jim's doctors and the phone numbers, but... Then I started writing my thoughts. You know, it was kind of an, a release for me. So when I retired, a friend of mine was in a writing group at the Loft Literary oh, Center. Yeah. And she said, why don't you join our writing group? You know, you could write about a lot of things, you know, just come. And so I started going to that. And I found that it continued to be a release for me to write. And I didn't even start writing about mental illness to begin with. I wrote about other topics. But it just kind of happened through taking classes there, getting input, the catharsis of writing. So six years later, here I have a book. Yeah. Kind of a surprise to me, too. That's great. That's great. Jim, how did you feel about your mother writing this book? Um, I guess not not, not terrible. <laughs> uh, I, I, I had a little bit of mixed feelings. I mean, it's kind of like um, just sharing, putting my, my life out there. Um, with my mom being the legislator, I've always been kind of a little bit of well, our family's been in the public spotlight a little bit. Nothing, nothing really big. But um, so if you if you Google me on the internet, you don't find the the most positive stuff about me because of articles that have been written and some things that people didn't get quite right. So I guess a little bit of mixed feelings, but I guess if it helps people, that's good. Yeah, well, it will help people. So I'm glad you can see the 
positive side of being involved with it. I think right, it's yeah. always very important that people are sharing personal stories. Um, Mindy, when do you expect the book to be launched? Well, this fall, for sure, they're, the University of Minnesota Press is the publisher, and they have told me they're shooting for October 10th, um, Worldwide Mental Health Awareness Day. So I hope that's the date and it doesn't get pushed back further. Okay, so we're hoping for the fall of 2020. Yes. Okay. And Mindy, are you thinking of writing any more books? This one was exhausting, I have to say, Brian. So I'm kind of thinking this might be it. Okay. Never say no, I've learned. Sure, but, sure. but I'm not too thinking about it. Okay. And then uh, one last question I'll ask each of you. Uh, Jim, what gives you hope for yourself and for other people living with mental illnesses? Oh, that's tough. I mean, I, I deal with a lot of... Um, big questions like the existential stuff. So I'm a thinker, but um, I guess just little glimmers of of hope and positive things and feeling good. I guess that's really about it. Okay. And Mindy, what gives you hope for Jim and other people? Well, I just have seen a quantum shift in the amount of legislators working on mental illness. The advocacy groups have become powerful. When I first started working, they were kind of under the radar, working in the shadows, and now they're, you know, kick butt powerful organizations that that legislators listen to. So that gives me hope, and just the fact that young people are open and talking about their mental illnesses. Celebrities are coming forward, and Jim at the present time is doing really well. So that gives me hope. Excellent. Well, thank you both for sharing your thoughts and information and being open with your stories and uh, looking forward to your book being available. Um, and uh, again, the title of that is Fix What You Can, Schizophrenia and a Lawmaker's Fight for Her Son. For additional information and links related to this episode, please check the podcast show notes and visit NAMI Minnesota online at namimn.org. You've been listening to Mental Health in Minnesota, produced by NAMI Minnesota.